You're listening to the Leaders in Pharma podcast. In this series, we sit down with top pharmaceutical, biotech, and healthcare leaders from around the world to discuss effective leadership, healthcare innovation, digital transformation, and other hot topics in the life sciences industry. At Impetus Digital, we aspire to act as the bridge to ignite these courageous conversations, both through our Insight platform, which features our award-winning Insight events and Insight Touchpoint solutions, and through these discussions. For more information, visit impetusdigital.com or book a demo with us at meetwithimpetus.com. Hi everyone, my name is Jess Massiangelo and I am the Global Business Development Director here working at Impetus Digital. At Impetus, we believe all new great ideas start with a conversation. Our online collaboration platform is the perfect place for not just starting these conversations, but also for continuously building on the ideas and insights generated over time while creating authentic relationships with the partners in the process. Having these big, courageous conversations is how we can start to implement change and positively disrupt healthcare. In this podcast series, we will be talking to some of the brightest minds in the life sciences industry to get their take on how to be an effective leader, navigate digital transformation, and ultimately enhance patient care. Today, I am joined by Danielle Portnick, who is currently the Regional Business Director for International with Ambry Genetics. Danielle leads the business development strategy for Ambu's Precision Medicine, offering in several geographies, including Canada and Europe. She has held roles across the pharmaceutical space in product management, marketing, medical affairs, and account management, where she, she has led Canadian affiliate strategy and execution for drug and medical device portfolios. She is also the co-founder and president of the board of directors for the first Canadian Healthcare Businesswoman's Association, HBA. Thanks for being here with us today, Danielle. Thanks for having me, Jess. Yeah, so really to start off, wondering what are some of the key leadership lessons you've learned during your career thus far? Yeah, great question. Um, there's been a couple. I've, I've tried to pull it down to, um, or I'll pull it down to, I guess, the top three that really come to mind. And I think the first is really, you may go faster alone, but you'll definitely go further together. You know, I think if we, if we take ourselves back to university and you think about how so much of what you did was individual work, um, you know, and you, in some cases you dreaded group projects because you never really knew who you were going to end up with and how they worked and if that worked well or not. And um, in, in some way, it sort of creates this do-it-yourself mindset. And that works to a point, um, you know, until you start to grow in your role, you grow in, in the scope that you cover or you grow in terms of leadership and you just simply either don't have the capacity to take it on or you're trying to avoid burnout, both of which obviously we want to try and avoid. So, you know, I think for me, understanding how and where you can really rely on the diversity of perspective around you, on the expertise around you, that was probably one of the biggest uh, things that I took as I sort of moved uh, through my career. And I would highly and strongly suggest that everybody think about that for really any project that you're working on or any part of the business, even if it's something you might end up doing by yourself, if you have an opportunity to pull in different perspectives, that can actually really change the way you approach that challenge or approach that situation, which may actually help you to achieve an even more impactful result than you had initially intended. 
Um, I think the second one for me is really leading has really very little to do with your role and your title and a lot to do with your actions. You know, I think we, we often talk about leading in this sort of binary fashion. You're either with authority or you're leading without authority. And, you know, I really think that leadership is just, it's so much more than that. Like it really is about, you know, what you say, how you say it, are you authentic? Do you demonstrate integrity, empathy? Are you a partner to your team? Are you, you know, in the trenches or really supporting them in some way, like a true ally? Um, you know, and not just when it counts, but day to day, it's, it's really not just what you can teach others, but what you can learn from those around you. And I think is, you know, really great leaders, you're always learning and you always understand that you're sort of a part of the system, no matter what role or title or whatever it is that you hold. Um, and I think the last one for me is, is be human and show it. Um, you know, I think there's this long-standing saying of it's lonely at the top. Well, I think it's only lonely at the top if people feel they can't talk to you anymore they can't communicate because you know someone might be more junior and you might be more senior so I think it's sort of incumbent upon everyone as you continue to succeed in your your career you continue to move up the ladder to just keep that in mind and really make the effort to be human to be seen as human to you know share that we're all in this together we all have our challenges we all have you know the hills that we face but at the end of the day you know we're never alone in that. We always have other people going through similar things. And so, you know, when we remember that, when we showcase that, when we make people feel that they can come to us, talk to us, no matter, again, what role, what title, what position you hold, um, it's incredible. I think what we can actually learn um, by sharing 30 minutes with someone, no matter what position they come in or no matter what area of, of you know, the industry they come from. Yeah, I love that and could not agree more. I think that obviously communication is really something that you touched upon. And um, when you're starting off in your career, hearing some of those key points that you have just mentioned, I think really can fast track you quickly in terms of really enjoying what you do, not getting that burnout, like you mentioned, and also being successful. So um, thank you for sharing that. Kind of keeping with that theme and keeping in you know, key leadership lessons that you're learning, but now applying it to, you know, the world that we're currently living in with COVID-19. What would you say are some of your key leadership lessons that you've learned since COVID-19 has started and has that affected anything so far? Yeah, great question. You know, I think one of the biggest things that um, to some degree we always worry about is, is how much do you communicate? And you know, is it bad to over communicate? Um, you know, I think with COVID, one of the things that I learned is I would, it's always better to over communicate. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. your team will tell you if it's too much. And even better yet, tell them to tell you if it's too much. Right. But at least that way, you're putting the ball in their court and they have the opportunity to actually let you know that versus, you know, worrying about how much communication you should be getting and then ending up under communicating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for me, I love it's a really that. Big one, um, just to make sure that you know you you are still there enough. You know, even if you're not sort of visible, you're still visible. Um, I would say a second one for me would be um, finding a new way to really maintain your open door policy. Um, you know, for me, I always said that if you know if you've got something quick, um, just save everybody the time. Don't send me an email. Pop by. It's an opportunity for us to connect again, sort of to be human, to have a laugh um, and to solve that problem at the same time. 
And I think, you know, when you can't do that in person, you have to find new ways to, to have that connection or to, to sort of have that level of accessibility that your team might need. Um, and so for me, that was really turning my uh, Skype messenger system into my open door. So if someone needed something and I was free, you could Skype me anytime. And again, as long as I could reply, I would reply or I'd pick up the phone and call them. Um, and that really, really helped to just uh, sort of maintain that connection, as I mentioned. And I actually had an intern who started with us in January last year. And, you know, within a month and a half, we went to virtual. So uh, I actually got that feedback from her that that was one of the things that really allowed her to connect with me and to feel that we had that great bond uh, within our team. So that was really, really important. And I suggest everybody think about what that looks like for them within their organization. Um, and I think maybe the third thing would be, um, and actually, I think this is probably the most important out of anything I might say here, but the foundational bond that you end up creating with your team is going to do way more for your collective output than four walls ever will. Um, you know, it's great that we really want people to be in an office. And yes, there are certain aspects of being in an office that I think you cannot replace. There are um, like those, as I said, those in-person interactions that really do help a team bond and bring people together. Um, but at the same time, if you can establish that, if you can find other mediums that allow you to have that foundational bond, then your team is going to work hard. Your team is going to want to be successful as a team. They're going to want to show you that success and make you proud as, as their leader. It's, it's sort of um, kind of ingrained in the way that the team functions if you really take the time to make sure that you have that type of a relationship with all of your reports or even with peers who are on your team. So more than anything, I think, you know, we've learned that we can all work remotely. We know that this is possible. Um, it really is about making sure that you've got that piece sort of at the center of that remote working to ensure your team has what they need from you to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. That foundation and strong bond within the team is probably the most important thing. And you even touched upon it. And I know that I've experienced it, but communication is almost become even more important now in this new virtual world. And I feel like I'm personally communicating even more than I ever did before because you kind of have to take that extra step and call someone or Skype them or Zoom them. And it's actually having some great impacts, I would say to our business and from feedback that I've heard from others to them as well. So certainly that's something that I'm seeing as well. So, Next question is around diversity within the pharmaceutical industry. So how can we really ensure more diversity in pharma, including, and really most importantly, the diversity thoughts in such a highly regulated industry? Yeah, I, this is my bread and butter. Um, I think we can do so much more if we put the proper resourcing and, and focus behind this kind of an effort. And actually there is, is quite a bit of, of work starting to happen across the sector, which is really, really exciting for me to see. But you know, I think if I had to pick a couple of things that we could do right off the hop, one would be start early. Um, and I mean early, I mean like high school, universities, colleges, we actually yeah. need to bring people into the industry to actually have that diversity. We talk a lot about you know, how do we have diversity in senior literature or how, how do we have diversity on a board? Well, if we don't have diversity 
in our entry level positions, then we're definitely not going to have diversity when we get to senior leadership or to the board level. So we really need to have uh, some sort of plan or focus on how do we actually bring um, that diversity in in the first place so that we can actually move the bar down the line. I think the second thing, um, and this may sort of seem a little bit counterintuitive to pharma, but go outside of pharma. Like it, we have incredible people in the industry, but there are also incredible people outside of our industry who can really give us that different perspective or that unique perspective. Um, you know, I think when we think about hiring someone for a position, we tend to be very, very structured around specifically what we want. And, you know, even as an example, within a disease state area, you know, you might be looking at a role in dermatology. And if you don't have dermatology experience, perhaps you won't be considered. But maybe the fact that you don't have dermatology experience is actually what makes you more interesting in that you're going to be coming from a different world. You're going to be coming with a different perspective. Maybe you don't have the contacts, but you know, that perspective could just be that much more valuable. So I think if we, you know, if we look at people across the healthcare spectrum and we really start to engage some of those people a little bit more, or we look at people who are sort of outside of, we'll call it the standard, what we would look for when hiring, mm -hmm. I do really think that we can find um, some really unique, unique perspectives and, and just strong, incredible individuals who could really drive our industry forward. Um, you know, and maybe the last thing is, I honestly think as an industry, we need to stop trying to fix people. Um, I, I can't tell you uh, how many events, things that I've gone to where, you know, we talk, for example, about women and imposter syndrome. And, mm -hmm. you know, there was a great Harvard Business Review article about this whole thing. Stop calling women imposters, you know, stop doing these things that inadvertently um, sort of suppress or repress someone's sort of uh, sense of themselves and their capabilities. Uh, if we actually want to ensure we have diversity, we don't need to fix the individual. We need to fix the system. If the system yeah. is broken, then trying to help individuals is only going to go so far. It really does need to be a top-down and bottom-up approach. It can't be one or the other. And so, you know, when we think about COVID being a great, you know, example of this in this pandemic, all of these jobs had to be in the office before the mm -hmm. pandemic. And I, to your point, right, I think we've seen you don't actually necessarily have to be in an office to do a lot of the jobs that we do. You know, so when we think about these jobs, are we actually limiting or restricting our talent pool by saying it's got to be in the office if it really doesn't? Could we actually be improving that diversity of our workforce or perspective if, you know, we said this job could be remote? And maybe it's not, you know, black and white, it's not in office or remote entirely. Maybe it's some sort of blend, right? Or some sort of um, compromise for that particular individual based on, you know, what's happening in their home life. But I think if we can look at some of these, you know, what I would think might be a fairly simple fix in some cases, we could probably bring in a lot of people that we're missing. Yeah, I, I think all those points are so great. And what I really like about it is you're kind of asking these what we would consider provocative questions. And that's really what you have to do in order to, to diversify our thinking when we, when we talk about these certain subjects. So um, I totally agree with all of your points. I think that it's a great start to the conversation. And hopefully we start to see a little bit more of that as time goes on. Definitely. So, yeah, so we have time for about one more question. 
And um, this is really around personalizing healthcare. So how do you think pharma can democratize and personalize healthcare for all patients? Yeah, I think that's, that's a big one. <laughs> it is a big one. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's probably a lot that we could be doing. I think there are mm -hmm. some things that uh, I'll say are maybe more obvious and things that we probably could start doing yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, one would be bring it to the patient. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the way our healthcare system is set up right now, it's very, very centralized. And I get in many ways that that makes a lot of sense. You know, you've got your large academic institutions and everybody filters in, you know, there when they need, you know, X level of care. But, you know, to some degree, it completely flies in the face of many of the social determinants of health and that there are many reasons people can't get there or aren't comfortable going there or have had right. certain experiences that prohibit them from going there. You know, and so when we think about uh, sort of our, our universal healthcare system, uh, it sort of makes you wonder how universal is that really? And mm -hmm. I think if we want to talk about really having access for all, then we need to understand that centralization doesn't actually equal access for all. We need to look at how we do bring that out to the patient. And there's probably a number of ways that we can do that. I think the UK actually was a really good example in terms of their COVID vaccine rollout. Um, they mobilized um, uh, transport buses, like mm -hmm. city buses, and they used them as mobile vaccination clinics that went out through the countryside. That's such a simple example, but yeah. it works. You know, you're not asking people to travel two hours to get a vaccine, you're bringing it to them. And that's how we make sure we move forward. Um, I think a second one is, is really the education piece. We know patients, people, all of us, we all do it. We go to Google, we wanna you know, find out about our health. We're gonna look into it. We have all of the tools at our disposal to do that. So why not? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, when you go do that, you get everything from, oh, you have a small cut to you have a tumor and, you, you know, you don't really yeah. know where you land in between. And so it actually, you know, in many create in many cases can create more angst than it actually creates good. So, you know, I do think um, we need to find a way to really improve our ability to provide good, accurate education to the public, um, mm -hmm. more broadly speaking, and really allow patients to take that into their own hands and really be in charge of their health. You know, right now it's hard for a patient to get access to their entire health record because it's all over the place, definitely in Ontario. So, you know, if we want patients to really be able to um, get the support that they need, they need to know what that support is. So, you know, I think it's incumbent upon those of us in the industry who you know, for lack of a better word, are in the know mm -hmm. to actually take that internal expertise and figure out how we translate that better externally. And we do it a lot around our products in particular disease spaces, or we support a particular disease area, but there has to be a way for us to look at how do we come together as a sector? So as healthcare mm -hmm. and actually have a dialogue on this, how do we do this better across the entire system? Um, and I don't have the answer for that, but I think that's exactly why we need that diversity of perspective. We need all these stakeholders at a table so we can figure out what that looks like. Um, and I think maybe the third thing is we have to figure out in this country how we do affordability with mm -hmm. business fiscal responsibility. Um, so, you know, companies have to be successful. They need to make money. They have to have revenue in order to have a business case to exist in Canada. 
people need to be able to afford their health care. So of course we have to balance these two things. Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, you know, we've I think we've seen time and time again where, you know, it's almost combative in some ways in, you know, within the healthcare industry, there are some great examples of how we work together, but there are a lot of examples where we probably could do a little bit better of a job. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and and again, I think this is one of those areas where we really need to bring all of the stakeholders together and go, okay, what are the gaps? What are the challenges? Almost like a SWAT, you know, we almost need a SWAT of our healthcare system and we can sit back and go, okay, you know, what are the quick wins? How do we fix this? Who fixes it? And start to actually build out from there so that, you know, we don't end up in a country where people can't get access to medications simply because they're not made available here um, or they can't get access in their province. So you have to go to another province to get funding Mm -hmm. or whatever that might look like. Um, I think that is going to be absolutely critical and and sort of within that as well, again, thinking about how do we get this out to the people, right? So when we make all these great changes, we can't just make these in our major cities. Like that's, you know, yes, a vast majority of the population is there, but how do we actually take that outward? Um, you know, and that's something that actually in my new role is, is very critical to me and, and how do we actually tell people or help people understand what their risk is so that they can make that informed decision so that they can get in touch with the right people. Because if we, if we don't fill out those other two things and we're, you know, we're just going to continue down this road of band-aids and unfortunately Mm -hmm. band-aids aren't going to be the solution to this problem. So I think there's a lot we could probably do, but maybe that's just a couple and I'll stop there. Yeah, no, that is honestly some great points and some really great thought starters. Um, Obviously, lots of work and effort and collaboration needs to happen for any of those to actually become reality. But I think starting and having these conversations and, you know, as we continue to make these points, that's when we start to see change. So a really great start to, I think, the future of what our industry will look like. So that is all the time that we have today. I really want to thank you, Danielle, for joining us. It was so great to learn more about you and your extremely successful career so far, as well as gain some insight on your thinking towards different, you know, topics and leadership um, within the industry. So to the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. And as always, reach out with any questions or comments. We at Impetus always like to further these discussions and conversations. So until next time, have a great rest of your day and we will talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the Leaders in Pharma podcast by Impetus Digital. We are the leading life science virtual engagement experts and provide virtual collaboration and communication solutions for meetings, events, conferences, and projects worldwide, all delivered with white glove service. For more of these discussions, be sure to like, subscribe, and visit impetusdigital.com or book a demo at meetwithimpetus.com for more information on our services.